I'm Steve Backshaw, and you're listening to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Alright guys, welcome to the Aussie Wildlife Show. Adrian here, and I'm here of course with Steve. G'day guys. And we're very lucky today to have with us Emma McKenzie. And Emma is the Wildlife Manager at Wildlife Wonders. Welcome Emma. Thanks guys. It's nice to be here. Um, yeah, we tried to meet up last year, but then just a little bit of a global pandemic happened. What? Yeah, you didn't hear about that, Steve. No. Yeah, it was um, something about a bat. Wasn't in South Australia, though, was it? <laughs> a little bit. Victoria. Here yeah. and there. <laughs> yeah, not, as, not as much. The third hmm. attempt at this trip. I had to wow. cancel twice. Yeah, it's a bit like that. Everyone who I know had holidays booked. They've gone through like three or four times that they've had to cancel yeah. the holidays. It's horrible. It is horrible. I enjoyed a bit of a um, holiday though myself, just not having to work. People don't like it when you say that. No, and it is really good until the money runs out, and then uh, there is that. Uh, then you're under more pressure to work. Actually, the government gave me money. That was nice. Good on them. Yeah, I've, yeah, you I deserve heard about it. that program. Sounds pretty good. It was pretty good. So good to have you here, finally, Emma. Um, now you're the, as we said, manager of Wildlife Wonders. Can you can you tell us what Wildlife Wonders is? Yeah, uh, Wildlife Wonders is a new wildlife experience, so very fresh, not yet opened, and it's a large predator-proof enclosure, so uh, just one big fence, no internal enclosures at all, so everything in there will just roam absolutely free and wild. Uh, so it's a place we can take people, uh, we'll take them on a nice walk and show them whatever we see and teach them a little bit about the animals in their natural habitat. So will they all be species local to the Otways? Yes, yeah, we're going for what is there now and what used to be there so we can see the Otways as it once was and as hopefully we can be again. Such a beautiful part of the world, isn't it, the Otways? For those that don't know, it's like a, a temperate rainforest, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite wet, especially compared to where we've been around here. We're going, everything's so dry, but it's still green back home. Yeah, welcome to the dry state, in, yeah. the dry <laughs> inhabited continent in the world. It's yeah. quite strange to think that down south from us that there's there's rainforests. Yeah. It's a really strange thing for me. It seems yeah. far too far south for there to be a rainforest. They're north, not south to us, but yeah, stunning. Yeah. Have you been down? No. No. I really want to get down there. It looks just like that. <laughs> yeah, right. That big poster behind Yeah, it. yeah. That's exactly what I love. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, temperate rainforests are nice. They're cold and mossy and not humid. But still look like you're waiting for a orangutan to just come out and... <laughs> More likely a koala than an orangutan. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? You yeah. don't have orangutans. <laughs> no. Oh, not on the list. <laughs> Maybe when you get more established. Um, <laughs> so what type of animals do you work with? Oh, a whole range. Um, one of the really big, uh, important species that we have down in the Otways is koalas. Koalas are um, one that a lot of people come down to see. So coming around and spotting koalas with us, just sleeping in the trees as normal is just a really cool experience. And then we have some more important ground-dwelling species that are a bit more rare and the ones you don't see or as much, hopefully you'll still see them, like the long-nosed potteroo, um, like you guys have here. Love potteroos. They look a bit like a rat, don't they, along those potteries? I, I defy you to call them a rat. As I tell most people, <laughs> anyone who comes in and calls them a rat, I say, you're more closely related to a rat than they are. We say the same yeah. thing, don't yeah. we? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How dare you? <laughs> exactly. But off record, they look like rats, don't they? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare. I'm just, I'll offend him. <laughs> no, they're a beautiful animal, and when you spend time with them, they do grow on you. 
on those potteries. Very much. They've got just beautiful personalities. They're the most curious creature you ever meet. When you go into their enclosure and you go, oh, well, I'll just go rake up or I'll clear out some of this old veg. <laughs> just anything new you put in, you put in the rake or the ladder, you're doing maintenance, and they just come straight away and sniff it and, oh, what's this? Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're good. I love it. I like them. Do you have any other arboreal mammals there besides koalas? There's very likely to be possums shooting through um, and gliders as well. So local to the Otways in our area, we have sugar gliders and yellow belly gliders. Nice. Um, So they are possibly going to be either there or around in the area. So they don't really come out during the day, though, so you're probably not likely to spot them along a tour. So more likely just your koalas. A lot of birds as well. The bird life there is beautiful. Just getting back to yellow-bellied gliders, I was very lucky one year. I was I went up to see Kirsten and Dean from Fauna Australia, who are near you. Mm-hmm. Shout out to yep. those guys. Um, I'd bred a frogmouth, and I took it up there, and I swapped it for Rocky, our collector's parrot that you've met. Um, so this was going back probably eight years ago. And Dean took us out spotlighting, and we saw yellow-bellied gliders. Oh, that's really cool. It was really cool. There, For those that don't know, they're related to sugar gliders, but they're about the size of a rabbit. And we heard them before we saw them because we heard that familiar, the crabbing sound that sugar gliders and squirrel gliders make, that sort of... Well, they do a similar sound, so we heard that and we're like, oh, that sounds familiar. Um, And we got to see one and I got to actually see one glide and that was really cool. That's awesome. Very lucky it was worth it, so... And you said, did you say feather tail gliders earlier to us? Oh, yes, there was a feather tail glider we found in a fern at one stage. Just in one of those tree fans is cute. Very cute. Yeah, super cute. We were talking to Tim Faulkner about them. He had feather tail gliders. Didn't he have them uh, nesting in the roof? His brother was an electrician <laughs> yeah. and he was doing some work and he said, there's these little dudes up here and turns out the, the wild feather tail gliders had come and made a nest above their captive feather tail gliders. Mm. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful little critters. We used to have them here in the Adelaide Hills. They're gone from here now, but I, I feel like that would be one that could be returned if we put in some nesting boxes and maybe a bit of feral control. Yeah. Is that the plan here? Well, I feel like it could happen in the Melfty range. It's not so much my house. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I'd love to. As a broad management issue. Yeah, I think it'd be fantastic if it did happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the quoll reintroduction to the Flinders. Why not pop them back up here? A lot of little arboreal things I think could do well if you put in the nesting boxes. Like fascigals could be another one. Yeah. Wouldn't you have those around here? Fascigals? Not fascigals. What's the other one I'm thinking of? Antichinus. Antichinus, yeah. Yeah, sorry. they're still around. Yeah, they're around here still, aren't they? Yeah. Cool. Did you say, it may not be good for the podcast, but did you say they're trying to reintroduce dingoes to the Grampians? I did see that. It's controversial. Oh, it's interesting. What are your thoughts? Um, I think it's hard to do with different opinions in a place surrounded with pastoral <laughs> mostly, but um, I think it'd be interesting. I think it'd be great to have devils back out there. Well, that was the talk when we had David Schultz on the show. He was oh, saying about devils him. being put back, and I got excited about that. And dingoes, I thought, well, that's also interesting, but I reckon devils might be the scared. go. Yeah. yeah. I was talking to Schultz yesterday, and he said, um, he goes, I've got a plan. If you put devils back out, you say, if anybody has a picture of a devil eating their sheep, you say, we refund you for the sheep. <laughs> there you go. That's all right. Problem yeah. solved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just, we'll give you the price of the sheep, put them back out. That's great. He, would, a, great. would a devil 
hunt down a sheep. I guess if there's no, no they wouldn't know. But no. you might it's see one eating one because if one did die, fat. so then yeah, like eating a dead sheep. Yeah, how do you? Yeah, you got to prove it was alive. I'm not refunding that. That's even carrying. if you don't, even if you so don't. So what's the situation yeah. with cats and foxes in the Grampians? They've been doing fox baiting for a lot of years, um, and I think there was a program for cat baiting as well that was in the mix. I don't know if it's happened or not. I think it was an aerial cat bait situation, mm. but, you know, they're both still there. It's the same down in the Otways. We've, we've got foxes and we've got cats. The question is how to manage it mm. efficiently and effectively and without all the money. <laughs> it was funny, Shorts, even we had him on the show and he was talking about the reintroduction with the brush-tailed rock wallabies mm-hmm. into the Grampians and they had the um, brush-tailed rock wallaby recovery team looking at the camera footage and they rediscovered tiger quails and they're kind of like, this is great for the tiger quails. Bit of a worry for our endangered brush-tailed rock wallabies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah mm. I don't think they ever saw one again though. Yeah, okay. Well, there was even talk that maybe it's one that had got out from the Hulls Gap Zoo, but I don't know. I'd like to think they're there. Just elusive. Be nice. Yeah. Well, that leads very well into what we've been doing um, with the Conservation Ecology Centre down in Cape Otway, um, which I have not explained yet. <laughs> Should I? Well, you it's can. It's just like, yeah. good segue. <laughs> yeah. Nice segue. Um, but I've just brought it up. But. So uh, with Wildlife Wonders, it's actually a not-for-profit um, with all the profits going towards conservation research by the Conservation Ecology Centre in Cape Otway. And um, they've been doing a lot of work with detection dogs trying to find quail scat in the Otways, trying to prove they're still there and they still exist. Some of those dogs that you can use for those things are amazing. It costs mm. so much money to actually train a dog to do that. It takes a lot of time. Mm. Sometimes it's, you know, volunteers who mm. are willing to bring their dog in. And the dogs are all sorts as well. Yeah. You get your Kelpies and your Border Collies that are bred to work. But there's also just mutts from the pound that uh, one of them actually did find Qualscat. So they can be pretty impressive dogs. And the Springer Spaniels are quite good as well. They're very, um, very happy dogs. How do they differentiate between a Qualscat and uh, a cat? Yeah. Cat scat. I've always wanted to say that. That's the only reason I asked that question, <laughs> just to say cat very Dr Seuss of you. <laughs> um, so the training involves using all different scats. So they'll have these little containers set up on the ground and they might have a cat, a dog, a fox, chicken, you know, whatever mm. else, all these different smells. And because um, there are quolls out at Cape Otway, um, captive quolls for education, they're also really good for borrowing their poo. They don't seem to mind. Um, and so you put their poo in their, one of them, and when the dog finds that specific one, they'll point to it with their nose or with their foot or, you know, or their paw, whatever they do, and that's when they get the treat. And the coolest thing is the treat's not always just a bit of food. The treats sometimes play, so it might be throw a ball for you or you can have your toy or, you know, whatever the dog specifically responds to. Um, so they're very, very clever. Some of them are a little too clever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is really good. Their, their sense of smell is amazing. Yeah. So what species of quoll do you have there? Uh, tiger quolls or spot-tail quolls and eastern quolls as well. Yeah, nice. Yeah, unfortunately we only have them captively, so people can come and see them, um, but we'd much rather than be able to see them wandering around in the Otways. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. Your, your fenced-off area, is that... Um, 
is that just for to keep always keep these animals it's sort of in captivity for people to see or is there some plan to re-release any of them or oh the quolls don't go in there just to no just not the quolls sure. no the, the no. other stuff they'll eat everything your, else yeah. um not not as yet um there's a possibility that it could be used in the future for a facility to for animals to get used to being semi-wild before they go out um but the animals we have currently aren't planning on going anywhere else um because it's still they're still living wildly but just without predators so no not yet you might want some quolls in there eventually for population control. Uh, I don't know about that. Our recovery have a pre well they had a pre release yeah. enclosure where they had cats in there. So the yeah. animals become a bit wiser before being released. And now they have quolls yeah. in there just to help control numbers. I think Mulligan's flat are planning on doing that, putting quolls in there. Just make it a bit more natural. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Give them a bit of, bit fear. of carnage. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not part of our plan at all. Predator Park. Aus- yes. Australian Safari Park, isn't it? Like yeah. you get the African big cats and giraffes and everything, but you guys have got the, <laughs> the, the friendly stuff, otteroos and things that you drive <laughs> yeah. amongst. <laughs> yeah, and that's so. Yeah, that's put your arm out. Don't feed, put your oh arm out. no! <laughs> feed them off the back. Otteroos can be savage. <laughs> It's, um, it's definitely part of what we're trying to do too mm. because they're, they're things that people aren't going to see in the Otways. They're not wandering around. They might spot a koala, they might spot a kangaroo or wallaby, but they're not going to see a betong or a potaroo um, or a bandicoot. So to be able to have those things still living wildly but, but be able to provide education to people and then they can understand conservation issues I think is really important. Mm, for sure. What species of bandicoots do you have? Southern brown bandicoots. And there's talk of eastern barred bandicoots going in to live a bit of a retired life. Awesome. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. That's Southern Brown's the only bandicoot left in SA. Yeah. It's depressing, isn't it? Talking about SA, we've got the worst mammal extinction rate. You've brought it up a lot today. I have, haven't I? Actually, <laughs> do you know no, what? There's I'm no western bard in there? Not anymore. No eastern bars, no western bards, no goldens, no pig-footed, no... Well, they're not anywhere anymore. Pig-footed? Um, pig-footed bandicoot. They're funny wow. looking. Yeah. It's got like two toes. Mm. Yeah. Silly little thing. Um, no boobies, no lesser boobies. They're completely gone too. So where are the programs reintroducing them? Oh, well, um, there isn't any. No. I only ever really offshore islands. Like We've got things like Thistle Island that have bilbies on them. But because we're so open, we don't have all that lush, thick forest. We don't have any forest. We have like woodlands and stuff. It's just such an open, dry state that things get taken out really quickly by cats and foxes. Mm. Um, there's been, a, I mean, there's been a couple of reintroductions. Like the York Peninsula's got Tamar wallabies back again, which were extinct in SA. We mentioned the Western quolls. Um, brushtail possums have been reintroduced into the Flinders. But um, it's mostly got to be behind fences. We're doing the Great Southern Arc on the York Peninsula. It's being fenced, and Perth's are breeding up red-tailed fascigales. Um, you know, they're going to put, I think they're going to put Western quolls out there. Don't quote me on that. I thought Tags was talking about devils out there eventually. Yeah. Okay. That'd be good. That'd be good. Don't quote me on that either. Yeah, yeah. No, I haven't heard that. <laughs> yeah. um, Cut that bit. Yeah, uh, a brush tail bed on is another one. But <laughs> Both of those are staying. Yeah. We used to have burrowing bedongs as well, and it really shows how amazing they are as eco-engineers because their burrows are still around and still utilised by, by animals, which is... Um, remember, I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but when we were in Central Australia at that large monitor conference, there was that girl doing a PhD yeah. on parentes. They were using the burrows. Yeah, using burrowing oh. betong burrows. So this extinct animal is still being useful, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's really sad. 
Yeah. Could be worse. Could be rabbits using it. Yeah, well, there you go. Mm. Yeah, probably They probably are. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, do you have wombats there? No, we don't. Uh, wombats are not native to the Otways. Okay. So that's, the, that's the species we probably get asked about the most, Is it really? to be honest. Yeah, where okay. are your wombats? SA has two species. <clears throat> Brag. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Well, there's a positive about SA. Well done. Yeah, that's right. Hey. Got nothing t- else. The yeah. wombats wiped them all out. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'll tell you another positive about SA then. Um, so I was doing some school shows a couple of months back in Mount Gambia and um, and we thought, you know, we, we've had dinner and we've sorted all the animals out. Let's go for a bit of a drive. We went 25 minutes south uh, down to near the Victoria border uh, along the Glenelg River, there's a little town. There's a little bit of the, the um, uh, I think it might be called the Glenelg River Conservation Park. It just comes over the border. And I was there for 40 minutes. And in that time, I saw three common wombats, or bald-nosed wombats, so I don't offend anybody. <laughs> um, swamp wallabies. I saw ringtail possums, brushtail possums, and my very first wild sugar glider. That's oh, amazing. In South Australia. <laughs> oh, wow. 40 minutes. Yeah. I looked, I looked over the river seeing if I could see a platypus because someone told me there might be platypus there. But um, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. 40 that's minutes. They're hiding everything. Yeah. Just that, <laughs> In that yeah, that's little right. Spot. That, that, yeah. It's almost Victoria. <laughs> mm. It wasn't a fenced off area that you just went through. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I really want to go back and that's spend some cool. time and take the kayaks. And yeah, it was, it was very yeah, cool. Very nice. Mm. We should get down there. Definitely. Getting back to wildlife wonders, you do guided walks through the property, don't you? Yes. So you'll, every person will go with a guide, um, a trained conservationist, so they know what they're talking about. And um, they will be able to show you, point out where the animals are, how they live naturally, where their burrows or their hide or their tree, um, and how they interact with that environment as well. Um, we'll be able to do animal biology, behaviour, talk about their conservation issues and, and why they're there, basically. That's so good. It's so important because people like me would walk straight past all this stuff unless someone, you know, pointed it out. And it's fascinating. Yes. There's a, there's a wonderfully created path that winds through the area. I shouldn't say created path because the guy who creates it wants you to think that he's never been there. <laughs> but, but the path is all access to any, you know, person, any age, kids and prams and all sorts as well. So anybody can come along and, um, and go for a really beautiful walk too. That sounds amazing. We did a guided walk in the Daintree at Cooper's Creek and it was a two-hour guided walk. So we thought, all right, take food, take backpacks, two-hour walk. It was really a five-minute walk, but... <laughs> There was a lot of interp, and I'll tell you what, it was amazing. It was fascinating. You know, he was talking about um, the ecology of the trees, and this grew alongside dinosaurs, and the whole, you know, the ecology with the cassowaries spreading the fruits of this and that. And it was it was great. Um, we we do it here at Animals Anonymous. We do a guided walk here. We lure people here with wombats and rock wallabies and crocodiles, and then we take them and. Um, make them learn about make plants. them learn about plants <laughs> exactly. It's a trap, guys. It's, the whole thing's a trap. <laughs> The Aussie Plant Life Show. I never fall for it, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, we, we have a plant guy at Wildlife Wonders, and it's a constant um, battle because I call his plants wallaby food. <laughs> well, guys, thanks this. for listening. Wallaby food. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. Right. yeah. So the bush that you've got there is, is all native bush? Um, it's, it's not original. It was replanted because it was actually a farm. Um, wow. So it is regenerating. Um, so some of it is lovely open grasslands for the kangaroos and some of it is like a eucalypt forest with a, a wet gully with ferns in it as well. So there's all sorts of habitats for, you know, all the different species as well. Yeah, cool. Some microhabitats. 
for different species. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. The great thing about a high rainfall area like where you are, um, it'll all come back pretty quickly too. Yeah, it's pretty green. Won't have to feed anything. Yeah, that's good. So if it was farmland, will native bush naturally come back as well or not? Is it, does it get past a point of native bush being able to get come back? Are you asking me? I'm asking me. (laughs) (laughs) It probably depends on the species and whether they're still adapted to the way that the, you know, habitat had changed. Uh, We do still have a lot of pasture grasses, which, you know, for the wallabies and the kangaroos, it's not so bad. Mm. Um, But it would probably take some time before native bush and native grasses start reseeding themselves. So will you have any captive animals that people can come up and get up close with? Um, The idea is to see the animals in their natural habitat. So it's not going to be a cuddle a koala situation, um, but they will hopefully be very happy with us looking at them in the trees. Yeah, what a lot of the um, guided walks they do through a lot of these sanctuaries, they do like a feed walk beforehand before the public get there and they throw out some soaked seed Mm -hmm. or oats or whatever by the path or dog biscuits and things come in for a feed. Uh, smoke yep. and mirrors, folks. I've got, I've got some rednecks. I've trained to whistle, whistle, and they'll come out. <laughs> they whistle. Redneck wallabies. No, I whistle. Oh, wallabies! Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, so they're gorgeous too. You just whistle and they're. Like, That's great. They cool. So, um, hopefully, everything else learns. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, now, you also mentioned the Conservation Ecology Centre. What can people do there? Um, so we have the Great Ocean Eco Lodge there. So people can come out and stay and they can go on a guided walk with uh, myself. And um, we would show you animals that are in the wild and some animals that you don't see in the wild, so your quolls and your potaroos. Um, and you can feed sugar gliders and the potaroos are pretty friendly and sometimes the quolls are. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so Other times they're not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they, you know, they've got teeth. So they can learn a bit more about what we do at the Conservation Ecology Centre and, um, and experience some animals that, you know, quolls people just generally don't know about. Um, I often get newbies who have never heard of a quoll before and it makes me sad but also excited because I get to tell them. Mm. And it is great when they're a bit hands-on with them as well. I think it makes a huge difference. Like, you can't do that in a lot of places where they're trying to release other things, but if you've got that situation when you can actually let someone feed something it's so it's engaging. much better yeah. yes. and they're really small tours there mm. too and they usually have you know between two and ten people so um, it's quite a, a yeah, special cool. experience and we became best friends earlier didn't we because your favourite animals quoll also yes yeah. quoll lovers yeah Quoll lovers you know it. We've got amazing. a special handshake, we've got tattoos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you you didn't go to the last meeting, did you? <laughs> um, no. No, I missed that one. Um, <laughs> but the I mean the thing about them is I mean there's so many there's so many awesome things about quolls, but they also they break your heart because you you know, they don't live very long. Mm. Um, you know, people I mean, people would say that a dog doesn't live long enough and a quoll, you know I mean think if you if you've got northern quolls, the Mars live 11 oh, months. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, 11 months? Yeah, they're the biggest days a year to exhibit male die-off after breeding. Wow. Do you have a favourite quoll? Like, there's six species of quoll. Australia's got four. Do you yeah. have a favourite? Oh, I have a big soft spot for the tiger quolls. Yeah. Uh, the first ones I worked with, and they've just got such personalities. They're just beautiful creatures, every single one of them. Yeah, they're so good. I'd like yeah. to see more people on SA breeding, and there's probably at the moment no one. Um, it'd just be good to see pr- proper sanctuaries and, and keepers that put the money into it, like even private keepers, 
just to rem- just so they remain on the planet. You know, they're one of those things that we could have a bad year and we could you know, almost lose. Yeah, it's really hard to believe. Yeah, it'd be nice to see some recovery programs where they're going back out to wouldn't it a bit more. Well, we had Dr. David Peacock on the show. He's the guy that spearheaded the Western Quarry reintroductions into the Flinders, um, and he would love to see him on Kangaroo Island. Oh, yeah, right. Maybe they should put him on Thistle Island to control all those boobies, those pesky boobies. Bloody <laughs> 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 But it'd be just great, like, especially KI, because they, they cull like tens of thousands of Tamar wallabies each year, um, and they just rot in the paddocks. And quals love carrion. It's like yeah. a win-win. Yeah, there's enough mm. around over there. Yeah. Do you have any tiger quals? Yes, we have two at the moment. Uh, one boy and one girl, but not uh, not that friendly <laughs> to each other. Friendly oh. to me. We have a qual, a female called Nicole. Ah. Thank you. Puns. Quality name. Yes. <laughs> I know. I usually steer away from the puns, but she's very cute. Um, and a boy, a Quentin. So um, they they live yes, yeah, <laughs> they live near each other, and then we've got um, two eastern quals as well. Yeah, they're cute. Why would they hate each other? Is that a common thing? Some they don't just... hate each other, but we haven't. Um, they haven't been interacting so much, and if you do put them in together, they can kill each other. Um, so it's always a bit of a risk, unless it's breeding season. But we don't plan to breed them. Mm. I had uh, a male and a female tiger quoll here a couple of years back, and they locked up for breeding, and they can lock up for like a whole day. Like yeah. It's crazy when they lock up. And um, and then she went off into, uh, they'd finished and she went off into her hide. And so I separated him out to another enclosure and I didn't see her for a while. And I thought, well, this is probably good. She's doing all the right things. And, and then one night, about a week later, she came out and he'd actually cut her side. I didn't know. And it had gone like oh. septic. And I didn't even think to check her on her. I just thought I'll give her the privacy. Yeah. Um, and she died that night. So it was really heartbreaking. Um, they but can be savage even through the breeding season. You often see chomps on the back of the neck. And so the females before breeding season actually put on weight just around the neck. They get wow. these big roly-poly necks. So when the male grabs on, um, it gives them a bit of cushion for the pushing. Also, the males, they, they get very greasy. and Is that the females as well? Like I remember when you had Sherlock. It yeah. was awesome and you could hold Sherlock and mess around with Sherlock all the time. He was great. But there just came a time when he just got mature and greasy. greasy. And I think it's the sebaceous yeah. gland or something. Sebaceous gland. Yeah. I haven't haven't handled a greasy qual myself. <laughs> Slip on any hands. Well, you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> yeah. That is a what great a name for a for a diner, a truck the stop diner. Qual. The greasy qual. <laughs> oh, someone's going to do that now. Yeah, I like that. It's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> We went to Secret Creek and interviewed Trevor Evans. Mm-hmm. Do you know Trevor? Yeah. He he keeps his tiger quals together all year, even when they're breeding, even though she's got babies. He keeps the male in there, so he's never had a problem. Wow. But he does separate the easterns. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought that was. I found easterns live a lot better together than um Let's tigers. hope you've got that the right way around. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what he said, because I was surprised, like, he had the two tigers living together. Well, the male um, can eat the young and... Well, that's what I thought. Um, and often when you have them together too long, they don't breed because they get too used to each other and they're just like friends after that. They're not Got to mix it that up. sort of friendly. Mm. Yeah, I find that but with Dunnarts. Like they just become mates and it's like there's no, uh, you know... No um, sexual spark. tension anymore. No sexual tension anymore. It's when so, the series is over. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, so we, we move them around, like grab this guy, you know, put him with those girls and take their guy to these girls and suddenly there's activity, mm. whether it's fighting or attempted mating, it's a step in the right direction. Mm. It's all the same with uh, Jazzy Reds, isn't it? 
Seems to fighting, be. Fighting, mating. Fighting, mating, <laughs> defending myself against being mated. Yeah. Uh, and then dying. Yeah. Stupid wow. order of animals. Yeah. yeah. How dare you. Yeah. I mean, I love them. They are, they are amazing. Doesn't sound the best evolution, does it? No. Well, the thinking is like, because they have so many babies, they, um, the males go away. <laughs> go away so for the kids listening. The males just go to the farm. Um, they die so that there's more resources for the many babies. Like some can have up to 10, 12 babies, some of these Desiris, can they? So, uh, like the, the tiger quoll and the Tassie devil have about 20 or 30, but it's only just the six or the four that attach first are the ones that survive. So I think they are evolved, Steve. Mm. Ish. Well, I don't, <laughs> to me it doesn't seem paternity. like they've evolved very well to, to be... <laughs> Disappearing. Yeah. Disappearing like they do. <laughs> dying really quickly. And yeah. They sound like, like the male uh, the, the male quoll that died 11 months old. So it gets the northern to, quoll, yeah. It's, that's like what insects do, not yeah. mammals, you know. You don't expect it with a mammal. That's what insects and things do. They come out, they mate, they die. It seems silly, doesn't it? You know, you, live, you yeah. become a mature, look, I'm an adult, look at me, and now it's so time to die. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was good, and the gone. <laughs> it's just, yeah, just it's yeah. really strange to hear that mammals it is kind weird. of do that, yeah. It's mm. something like the, the thing that controls their is it cortisone shuts down, and they just keep producing it until they die. Wow. Yeah. Very they don't have time to eat and look after themselves. Just busy. Yeah, just busy, mate. It's hard work, mate. So you're looking at getting some eastern betongs. Yes, yes. It's, That's exciting. Um, it is. It's it's one of the species that uh, did disappear off off uh, Victoria and did disappear from the Otways. So it's nice to have them back there, even if it's in a sanctuary. Um, so we're getting two boys, so we might have to find them a girlfriend. Yeah, nice. I love betongs. I've never even seen an eastern betong. I've driven through Tassie. I spent two weeks in Tassie and didn't see any. Saw a lot of stuff, but didn't see them. Um, they used to be on the mainland, of course, but um, now only in Tassie. I don't think there's any wild ones on the mainland. I think there's some in fenced areas. Correct, yeah. And they're, they're pretty shy by all accounts, so um, that's one of those ones that you may or may not see in Wildlife Wonders, but um, they're still a, an interesting conservation story too. Yeah, I, I would love to. I'd love to come up and come and see some. Maybe when we have you back on the show, we can come up and uh, interview at Wildlife Wonders in there with the animals. That'd be good. You're very welcome. You can come and visit your uh, potteroo that you're uh, handing to us today. Yeah, little little. Um, oh God! Now I've got, I've got to say thanks to Sean and Jazz for raising that little potteroo for you and for us. Um, what does she call it? Pinocchio. Pistachio, Picasso. It was Picasso. It was one of the P's. Pinocchio is a good name for a long-nosed pottery, though. Yeah, it is. Mm. We do like alliteration. We've got Pipette, Pipsqueak, and Poppet. And they're all potteries. Yeah, all the three females we've got for um, what's his name? (laughs) (laughs) Pinocchio. Picasso. 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 (laughs) Okay, that's great. Dave. It's called Dave. I heard uh, Sean's coming on this show later this year. That's oh, yes. exciting, isn't that it, is Sean Scott. Yep. This year, yeah. Leave that in. He's, yeah. um, <laughs> he's yeah. starting a PhD. Run, Sean. Yeah. He, he's great with his reptiles. I, I met Sean when he was a little tacker. I, um, I bred sugar gliders and he bred geckos. And I, and I was just starting Animals Anonymous and was looking to get some different animals. Didn't have a lot of money. So I contacted him and said, would you want to swap one of these geckos you're selling uh, with a glider that I breed? And he said, I've always wanted to get into gliders, and he did. And, um, you know, 10, 15 years later, he's, he was working at the Adelaide Zoo and living his dream, and I think now he's going to start a PhD. We'll let 
Sean talk about that when he comes on. But yeah, later this year. Later yeah. this year. Yeah, that's right. He's definitely or waiting coming. with bated breath. Bated breath. Yeah. But no, he set up a tiles, uh, some tiles on Animals Anonymous here. He's got 40 tiles. And he's got oh, them cool. all GPS marked because we have uh, a threatened species of snake here called the pygmy copperhead. And um, he was hoping they would use the tiles and we could kind of see what they do. But we've found baby browns, little whip snakes, marbled geckos, many different skinks and cockroaches and frogs and everything else but the target species. But it's still interesting having them there. But we have seen them here. We have absolutely seen them here. Uh, Four species of snake here, 15 reptiles. Do you guys have um, many reptiles in the area where, where you are down in the Otways? We certainly do. Yeah. What about, what about, what about, so so yeah, come no, on, list them. Yeah. No. So, uh, no, we often see a, a, a tiger snake or a copperhead um, when we're, well, not, I don't want to say often see it when we're doing our tours because then you won't come. Uh, but I often see them when I'm out and about. Yeah. I'm more likely to come if you say that. <laughs> yeah, some would, some wouldn't. It's, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's, um, it's why we take out birds, mammals, and reptiles because some people, like Steve, only come for the reptiles, you know, and other people just not as interested but they like you know maybe a bird and it's good to have that diversity isn't it yeah definitely and we've got lots of frogs calling as well we know they're about and um if we see a snake on the tour it probably will be the most exciting part but um we'll hopefully won't see it too close it's it's the things that you know they're out there and there's lots of them but they're so cryptic aren't they yeah we've we've got one that lives at a certain spot near our call enclosure can't get in, but it always knows when I'm coming. I think because I only ever see the tail. Just <laughs> they feel you coming. Tiger come snake. Yeah. 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 Nice. I've been out with Anthony Johnson, and we lifted up a bit of tin, and there were three good-sized brown snakes coiled up. It was winter with one sand swimmer, which is a sort of little skink as well. I thought you're the luckiest sand swimmer in the world. Isn't it funny? Like, and they were all coiled up together. On the colder months, they'll, they'll um, call a truce. Mm, you you hear stories of dunarts and mice sleeping together in the cooler months, you know, sharing a hide or something, and then um, when it warms up, the dunarts turn around and eat them. <laughs> Is that because the dunarts are in torpor and they're just not really... Must be. It must be, yeah. It's interesting. You just yeah. roll over and look and go... You'll keep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it warm. Yeah. I've seen, I mean, might have cut this, but sometimes when you have an eastern quoll in with another eastern quoll, one of them dies. The other one will, like, sleep on top of it. Oh, that's cute. And, well, it could be cute or it could be there, you know, keeping Protecting. it fresh and then eating it. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm Still not cute. sure which one. Mm. Yeah. Is it? yeah. Sure. I think that reflects on the person, whether you think it's cuddling yeah. it or eating it. I miss you. I'm hungry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So with you, you've got the pygmy possums there. I think you've got the eastern pygmy possums. Um, here in the peninsula, we've got the westerns, and KI has little pygmy possums and western pygmy possums. The nesting boxes really work for those little guys. With the, if you've got a really small hole that they can just fit in and they feel safe that a predator's not going to follow them in to eat them. And uh, we've had a lot of success here in the Fleury Peninsula with the western pygmy possum using the nesting boxes and it makes it really easy for biologists to go and survey that that species they don't have to trap them in a bucket they can just lift the lid and go oh there you go there's seven in there and whatever um you know a mum with babies or whatever um sorry about the wind folks a little bit of wind coming through we are outside and also if you're doing a controlled burn you don't have to just burn all your pygmy possums you can translocate those boxes maybe to another park or to a sanctuary part of our program with the conservation ecology center is doing cool burns 
doing it in the cooler months and monitoring soil temperature and invertebrates as well to see what's there and what comes back after. Um, but it just means that it leaves patches of habitat for animals as well. It doesn't just smoke everything out and then let the predators come back in and eat everything. Yeah, that's interesting. We need a lot more work done on burning, don't we? We had um, Clive Chesson came on the show and he made a comment. He said, um, fire ecology isn't brain surgery. It's a lot more difficult. Yeah, it's a lot we don't know, which is part of the research for us, trying to learn. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those things where there's going to be benefits from certain burns, but then there's always going to be some species that kind of don't benefit and it's kind of weighing it all up isn't it yeah it's like when they have those certain burns for like the red-tailed black cockatoo has to have just this much scorch because they're a super picky animal there are some that that are specifically for one species but it, it you sort of do need a whole habitat approach don't you yeah and then we factor in humans and their kind of infrastructure so people just want to burn the bush so we don't have a big fire and don't worry about the animals it's uh mm, it's a complicated issue Mm. Sam, if people want to get involved in what you guys are doing at the Conservation Ecology Centre, what can people do? So we have um, a Great Otway tree plant, so people can come out and volunteer to tree plant with us. Uh, Sometimes we have koala surveys that people can come along as well. Um, They can certainly come and stay at the Great Ocean Eco Lodge and um, go on a tour with me. I'll I'll teach you as much as I possibly can for as long as you'll possibly listen. And um, we also have an internship program. Um, So if you've done some sort of environmental uni degree and maybe an honours or something along those lines, um, you can come out and work with us for three months. Um, which is can just be whatever we're doing at the time. You might be trapping for mammals or spotting koalas or burning or planting or the possibilities are endless. That sounds great. I applaud what you guys are doing. I love it. And we've had some massive conversations on the phone when you, you know, early in the piece when we first met. And it's great to meet you in person finally. And also, I, again, I, I can't say it enough, it's super important that people engage with biodiversity to help protect it. And, you know, we can go to classrooms with animals and that's fantastic but to bring people into the natural environment and have someone like you that's just, um, you know, talking about it and making people think about it differently, it's powerful, you know, it really is, um, to people that own property, to people that just live in the city, to to kids, you know, the next generation, and um, thank you for what you do. Oh, look, it's a lot of fun. I love it. I love being able to work with people and animals, even though they say, you know, don't work with children and animals. I I love working with both, so it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I ignored that email too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, that's great. And you can see you love your job. And look, no, seriously, we'd, we'd love to come down um, and, and, and check it all out and, and get you back on again if that's okay. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Cool. Uh, that was a lot of fun, Emma. And guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you.